Production funding for Ruckus has been provided by gifts from Dave and Jamie Cummings, the Fred and Lou Hartwig family, Peter and Barbara Gattermeyer, the Courtney S. Turner Charitable Trust, John H. Mize, and Bank of America N.A. co-trustees. And by viewers like you. Thank you. Welcome to Ruckus, our weekly food for thought fight over the news of the day and the trends of the times. From the left, the right, and the center. I'm Mike Shannon. The Ruckettes join me shortly along with Roast and Toast. Our topics this week, count on counties for controversy, count on Congress for debate, and count on Kansas City, Missouri for both controversy <laughs> and debate. And that's where we start with our Newsmaker segment. Our guest is the new mayor of Kansas City, Missouri, Quentin Lucas. He won a landslide victory in last year's election and took office in early August. We are pleased to welcome back to Ruckus, Mayor Quentin Lucas of Kansas City, Missouri. Thank you for joining us, sir. It is good to be with you, Mike, and good to be back on Ruckus. You've been mayor now for several months. Is it like you thought it was going to be? Uh, it is like what I thought it would be, just with 10 times the work and the pressure. Uh, there is a lot going on in Kansas City. That's a good thing, but there's certainly a lot we need to get done. So uh, we hit the ground running, and we look forward to doing that over the years ahead. And you got some criticism, mild criticism, mm -hmm. I would add, but you've had some criticism for being too involved and too active too early. Usually political figures <laughs> are criticized for not doing enough. You're being criticized for trying to do too much. You know, I think uh, perhaps my training in life and the way I was raised was that we're supposed to actually work hard. And I think the people of Kansas City saw during my campaign, I was an energetic campaigner. Frankly, on the city council, I was the same way. I, I've said many times, we're a city that can walk and chew gum. We can do big transformative projects, but we also need to make sure we're taking care of basic services and longstanding issues like violent crime. So I'm proud of our efforts so far and the progress we've made. I was going to say, you've made no secret of the fact that your top priority is reducing violent crime mm -hmm. and reducing the very large homicide yes. rate in Kansas City, Missouri. Obviously, that involves the police department. Have you given any thought to the possibility that your efforts might be easier if the police department were under local and not state control? You know, I think philosophically it's, it's interesting to have local versus state control conversations, but in some of my work so far as mayor, I've talked to the mayor of St. Louis, where a few years ago they, they got local yep, control, yep. and they continue to have a significant number of homicides. Frankly, I don't know if the department is in any way better run. So my biggest priority is how do I actually save lives in Kansas City and make people safer, and that's my day-to-day -day focus right now. Well, you've made it very clear that reducing the violent crime rate and homicides, that's priority number one. But what are number two and three? Well, number two, I think, is simply this. How do we deliver the services that our constituents deserve in Kansas City? I think people want to say that it's a place where you can live, where you can work, and where you can play. And, frankly, where you're actually getting services that are comparable with cities all around our region. So a big focus of mine, and as we look for a new city manager, is making sure we're doing just that, making sure that we're solvent in our budget long term, but also making sure we're doing things like filling potholes, like actually uh, carrying through on our promises on zero fair transit. And that's the kind of basic, perhaps it's not the most exciting, but that's the work that our constituents deserve. Speaking of city managers, Troy Schulte was in that job for about a decade yes. and uh, decided to retire about a month after you took office. Did you uh, play a role in engineering that? 
I, I did not. I think uh, Troy said that he had a, a good time with 10 years. That's a position that takes a lot of stress, a lot of energy, and I think he was ready for a different change. I would say his new one also may have a lot of stress and yeah, take a lot of energy. He's become the Jackson County Administrator. Were you surprised by that? Were you involved in that discussion? Uh, you know, I, I uh, not much. I mean, I certainly have talked to the Jackson County Executive and others. I think they made a great choice with City Manager Schulte, who knows the region, uh, but then also knows a lot of the challenges that exist in Jackson County. Certainly no shortage of challenges in Jackson County. Well, that, that's the truth, <laughs> and I think they've got some good folks to help them now. Uh, will this facilitate better city-county relations? I, I think we have always, uh, it, it varies. In some ways, it actually relies on the personalities. You know, from the moment I was elected, I started meeting with people not just in Kansas City, but throughout our region, and I'm proud of that. Mm -hmm. And so, frankly, I've been meeting with Frank White, meeting with the Jackson County Sheriff and others. While we all don't agree on everything, we, all, we also make sure we do have some respect between each other, and that's the best way we can work on all of these. During your campaign, you talked about reducing tax benefits for mm -hmm. economic development for mm -hmm. businesses locating in Kansas City, Missouri, especially downtown. Any progress in that regard? Well, I, I think there is, despite what may be editorialized. Uh, I, I come with this basic view, Mike, and you've been studying Kansas City for years. There is someone who can be between the Mark Funkhauser approach, which is just ban them all, and perhaps A.K. Barnes approach, which was very aggressive. And I think there is a middle path we can use, which says, yes, we will still have economic development in Kansas City. It doesn't need to be at the same level that it's been for years, which are these 23-year, 100% property tax breaks. We can continue to push more of that development East, and importantly, and something I'm very proud of, we've appointed a number of folks who, frankly, are skeptical on incentives to our boards and commissions. The Port Authority has the superintendent from the Hickman Mill Schools. Former mayoral candidate Alicia Kennedy is the TIF Commission chair. Phil Glenn, a mayoral candidate, is on the Port Authority. I'm proud of the fact that we have people that will ask tough questions and not just be a rubber stamp. Mr. Mayor, we've got to stop it there. Thank you very much for your time. Congratulations again on your victory. Good luck in what you're doing, and come back and see us. Well, thank you, and go Chiefs. All right, all right. Thank you, sir. Kansas City, Missouri, Mayor Quentin Lucas. Now, let's meet the panel and start a ruckus. Attorney Steve Marakian is with the law firm of Worsh, Hobbs & Marakian. Steve is also adjunct professor at the Adam Schiff Constitutional Law Academy. Gwen Grant is president and CEO of the Urban League in Kansas City. Jeremy LeFevre is a former Missouri Democratic State Rep, now with LeFevre & Associates. And Woody Kozad is president of the Kozad Company, a government relations firm. Well, after a lengthy holiday break, Ruckus is back as we continue in our 23rd year on the air. 2020 is a year divisible by two, and that means elections, including a campaign for the White House. Ruckettes will have a lot to talk about in this new year, so let's start. After just four years on the council and at age 34, now 35, attorney Quentin Lucas surprised veteran politicos with his rapid rise in popularity and prominence. He came in second in the mayoral primary, but won a landslide victory in the general election over Councilwoman Jolie Justice, who was backed by the man Lucas succeeded, former Mayor Sly James. Well, we just heard the new mayor on a wide range of topics. Start with Gwen. What stood out to you about the interview? Well, certainly he has a very aggressive uh, uh, agenda, and I'm delighted that he does. I think the priorities that he laid out are uh, great priorities for Kansas City. Uh, have being focused on violent crime is certainly important at this time, and I was delighted to hear that um, he's 
you know, focused on zero fare transit. That was a, a great uh, decision that um, the city council made in December uh, to launch the Prospect Max and to uh, find revenue in the operating budget to support zero fare for all. So I'm, I'm you know, I think he's on um, off to a good start. Steve, One thing, though, if I may, and and that is on the, <laughs> on the economic development uh, piece. Uh, <laughs> certainly, um, you know, his response to that question was really typical uh, in that, that he's trying to find middle ground there. But he did get some heat from um, several of his supporters uh, based on his uh, how he handled the Strata and um, uh, Waddell and Reed. Uh, TIF projects, and so he is going to have to navigate that landscape very carefully to maintain credibility with, with uh, a lot of his supporters. Steve, you're on the Kansas side. Uh, what was your reaction to uh, Mayor Lucas? Well, I, I agree, agree with, with what Gwen said in that I think his priorities are, are good. I'm a little concerned that he does not have the, the bike lanes ahead of violent crime, which I think is the most <laughs> important thing. I'm being facetious, obviously. I think violent crime is really the central feature, and I'm glad that he is, he's approaching it the way he is, because I think his approach to violent crime is, is one that, that we, can, we, can, we can support. Those of us who believe strongly in the Second Amendment, for example, are sick and tired of these, well, let's put limitations on guns. His approach is basically to try to increase the ability to, to take guns away from criminals. And I think that's the way you do it. And I'm glad he's, he's involved in that and is pushing that very hard. And, uh, you know, getting the feds, in, the feds involved and using all of our resources as much as we can to, to, uh, to get guns out of the hands of the bad guys and to reduce violent crime in Kansas City, that to me is what draws people and is what spurs economic development and is really the, the best thing for this entire community is to make it a safe place to live. Woody, as you know, there's a lot to talk about with the mayor of Kansas City did not get to this matter about a tenant's bill of rights, which uh, Lucas is backing and which has been approved by the council. What are your thoughts about a tenant's bill of rights? Does that sound like something that's going to work? Uh, look, what you're looking for, what everybody's talking about nowadays is affordable housing. You don't get that by more regulation. You get it by less. Take a look at the cities that have the best, most affordable housing. They largely have deregulated. They've gotten rid of regulations that were driving up the price of housing uh, within their borders. And so this isn't a move in the opposite direction. And therefore, if you're after affordable housing, I don't think it's a great idea. Um, I, I, I can't get very excited about it. I, on the crime front, to me, you go to the cities that have been successful and see in reducing violent crime. You see, what did you do? Same thing with affordable housing. Go to the places that have some affordable housing. Ask them, how did you get here? And then try and copy that. It, it makes sense to me. And I don't think you'll find a tenant's bill of rights has lowered the cost of housing anywhere. Well, Jeremy, well, uh, it's uh, more mayor. about tenants' rights than it is just affordable housing. Well, if you want affordable housing, tenants you, have you to may have find rights. there's a trade-off there. There have to be houses to be afforded. Well, tenants... <laughs> that, that may be the question yeah. that some people are concerned about. I wanted to ask you, Jeremy, the yeah. Missouri legislature is back in session, and if Lucas wants to fight crime in Kansas City, he may need help from the state legislature. He's been meeting with Governor Parson. Do you think there will be cooperation between the two? So far, there's been great cooperation. I've been really impressed um, with the mayor's office and his team and their engagement, I think, with the governor. And I've also been very impressed with the governor and his engagement with Mayor Lucas and Mayor Cruson over in St. Louis. I think these are uh, adults to having adult conversations about 
important, tough topics, and that doesn't happen enough in politics, and I'm celebrating the fact that it's happening right now. Woody, we've seen a lot of mayors. Do you think Quentin Lucas is going to stack up with the best? It's too early to say that, but I just want to chime in with what Jeremy said. Uh, as far as I can see, the relationships between the governor's office and the two urban governments much better than it's been in the past. And I and think Kansas this, City and St. Louis. And, yeah, and especially Kansas City. I look, St. Louis is the problem child. Mm -hmm. Kansas City is actually alive and breathing and above the dirt. And, and St. Louis is the largest population loss for a metro area, not the city, for the metro area in the country. We're not in that kind of condition, and so we're the good news, and, and he, they're probably going to get more attention, but the governor is trying to work with both of them, and they're, as far as I can see, Quentin, certainly, our mayor is trying to work with him, and that's great news. Let me throw that question to you. Do you see him as possibly going to stack up with the best of mayors in Kansas City history? Well, I, I, it, it is too early to tell. He shows I, a lot I think, of promise. No, is that I, I, fair to I say? think he does. I think he shows great promise. I, I really, I, like I was saying before, he's extremely engaging. He's a guy who who um, who doesn't rub people the wrong way, and he knows how to get things done. I think he's off to a great start, and, and there, there are going to be roadblocks and bumps along the way. But I think whether or not he's a great mayor depends upon whether or not he can reduce violent crime and whether he can find a way to increase commercial development uh, without all the tax consequences that are adverse. Well, he has made that pledge to cut the homicide rate, and if that doesn't happen, then we'll have to see what right. occurs as a result of that. Mm -hmm. According to Dictionary.com, the word of the year in 2019 was existential. <laughs> the dictionary defines it this way, of, relating to, or affirming existence, grounded in existence, or the experience of existence. Got that? Existential is about existence. It is often used when referring to presumably long-lasting issues of concern. How many times have you heard climate change is an existential problem? Well, we also have local versions of existential. In Jackson County, property taxes are an existential problem. Many property owners got hit with unusually high assessments yes, last did. fall. Thousands appealed, most probably had to pay or will have to pay. The ACLU and others are heading to court to seek solutions. Can the courts provide a way out of this existential problem, or should this be left to the county and state legislators? We'll begin with Woody and then get Jeremy's response. Well, if the courts have a job to do, that's fairly narrow. Here's the complaining property owner who says he was abused. If the county failed to follow the proper legal and regulatory steps in getting to what they taxed him, he wins. If not, he loses. You're not necessarily making law in that process. You're just trying to follow it. Uh, they're not the, the courts are not the place to fix this. They're the place to give relief to people who've been injured in, wrongly by the county. Um, this is really a problem of administration and wh whether you can even do this job uh, right. I've, I don't ever remember an assessment going quietly through in Jackson County or any other major urban area in my lifetime. So that somebody shoot me, I'm about to recommend a new commission. Uh, it, or government. <laughs> well, it, I, I, no, some, we need to go right back to like as if the ground had been flattened on this issue, as if there were no Missouri constitutional or legal prohibitions, and say if you were going to collect a property tax, 
how would you do it? Yeah, they have to fix this. They and start this. over again because this, I don't think anybody will ever make this system work smoothly. Uh, I don't right. think it could be. Jeremy, uh, courts or the legislature? Well, it, it, it is the legislature's yeah. um, responsibility. If they are not willing to take on that responsibility, it's the court's job to, like what he said, provide relief to those who, who feel like they were wronged. What this demonstrates to me, it, uh, assessments or valuations throughout the city were low. And, and I think most people recognize historically. that something, historically right. something had to happen. Mm -hmm. This was rolled out so poorly and, and accident after accident and misstep after misstep, it's nobody in charge is certainly doing themselves any favors. This doesn't seem like it needs to be as big of a deal, but they continue to bumble the response, and that's the biggest problem. Well, when these two lawsuits say that the assessments are unfair to minorities, that's the basis of the lawsuits. One of them, and I'm just going to quote here, includes a supportive petition asking the judge to consider Jackson County a failed state and uh. cites the history of problems in Jackson County. Yeah, well, yeah, that's not going to work, but certainly it was amusing. It was, enjoy it was an enjoyable read it because, uh, you know, I thought it was entertaining and just based on the calamity that exists in, in uh, Jackson County, the only job or the primary job they have is to collect the taxes and they just simply cannot do it. You know, and, and would I I, I agree with Woody. This is really, you know, unbelievable. That's because I called for a new commission. Well, <laughs> no, no, because you recognize that certainly something has to be done to solve this this problem. And I don't think I, I know that there's some there is a state legislator who is putting forth some, you know, proposed remedies to address it. But I don't know that that'll be effective. Well, is this going to cause the amount of civic unrest that will? create major changes in Jackson County. Oh, it's already causing uh, very significant significant mm -hmm. unrest, but the problem is that that they they the, the people in Missouri and in Jackson County have have missed the point entirely. Do it like you do in Kansas. Just have the Supreme Court <laughs> tell you what your taxes are, how much they should be, how much you should collect, and what the assessors will be. Why have a legislature when you have a court that can easily do that? And Gwen, there are the some of these that appeals the that have not even been heard the or so uh, letters that have been opened. 8,600 unopened emails? I mean, you know, that's just unbelievable. Well, uh, but. I, you know, to Woody's point about going back to the table and trying to figure it out. So you do have a challenge uh, relative to just human resources mm -hmm. and capacity. Yeah. And so you've got to figure out if you want people to actually go out and do on-site assessments, that means you've got to have a lot of people. Right. Who's going to pay for those people? got to stop and move on to our next topic. <laughs> and now that we're moving on to the next. <laughs> now that Congress is back at work, or more correctly, now that Congress <laughs> is back in Washington, that is a distinction with the difference. The impeachment battle threat, is renewed. <laughs> the House has approved two articles of impeachment accusing President Trump of abuse of power and obstruction of Congress. Speaker Nancy Pelosi did not immediately send the articles to the Senate for a trial. Because of that, the whole process was on hold over the holidays. Now that Congress has returned, what's been happening and what do you think is going to happen next? And we start with Steve. Well, this whole thing is a is a complete debacle. Aside from the question, the the entire the, the issue of, of impeachment, the whole thing is a debacle. And, and, and unfortunately, 
Uh, it has been orchestrated by Nancy Pelosi, and now she doesn't know what to do with it. it it's, a, it's, a, it's a horrible mess. You, you simply cannot. And I think the Nancy problem Pelosi is right now. Nancy Pelosi didn't make any phone calls to she, anybody in Ukraine. She, Thank she, you. She knows, she, knows, she knows the Iowa caucuses are coming up very close. She doesn't want to have this trial going on while these senators are, should be out there campaigning. She, can't, she, cannot, she cannot, under the Constitution, effectively there is no impeachment. Because under the Constitution, it's uniquely a constitutional and political process. You cannot simply impeach, vote to impeach, and then say, but we're not going to give you the indictment, basically, unless and until you allow us in the House to do what the Constitution doesn't allow, which is to set the rules. She has one obligation now, one, and she has violated it which makes the entire process essentially invalid constitutionally. She has to turn it over to the Senate. She has to. And because she hasn't, it's effectively the same thing, the closest analogy would be, if a grand jury voted to indict, and the prosecutor simply said, okay. And took no action. And did, took no action. There is no charge, and it must be thrown out. Gwen, I'm sensing a mild disagreement. <laughs> well, you know, I love Nancy Pelosi. You know, you know, you, you know you're doing something right when, every, when people just blame you for everything. You know, <laughs> you Trump must, must be you doing must, great. Oh, well, no. <laughs> You know, like, touche, that was good. But still, you know, uh, Senator McConnell, has just clearly stated on Fox News that he's just this he's gonna I run a mock trial. I don't blame her for like let show me how you're gonna do this. Are you gonna follow, you know, uh, have a fair trial? The, the president said he wanted one, but how are you gonna have a trial and not even say you, you know you're gonna, not gonna call witnesses? They call witnesses in in Congress. People came forward and brought testimony, and a lot of it was compelling testimony that the president acted in his own best interest and held Ukraine hostage for revenue, for funds until they agreed to do what he wanted. Uh, it, it's assumed by almost everyone, I think, that uh, regardless of what happens and when Nancy Pelosi sends the articles to the Senate, that the president will not be convicted and will continue as president. Do you think that's going to be the case? Yeah, I think that's likely to be the case. I I do think that there are a lot of people in the U.S. Senate on both sides of the aisle, and I, I would like to point particularly to Roy Blunt, who is a statesman and a true patriot for this country. And his silence to me says that senators are sitting back and waiting to do their job, and they want to be able to have a legitimate trial with witnesses and, and to flesh this issue out. Mitch McConnell isn't letting that happen yet. And I think Nancy's playing chess where everybody else is playing checkers, and she's saying, you're not going to have a fair trial. We'll wait until you will. Well, Woody, some of the polling... Some of the polling, in fact, most of it seems to suggest the president is prospering as a result Absolutely. of this impeachment process, that his polling numbers have gotten better. Well, if you tell the American people that the president has, anybody, has obstructed Congress, they'll give him a medal. Uh, look, I, I want to, let's get back to Mitch McConnell, a Except man, when those people a man for like whom I have never had a lot of regard. But right now he is committing candor. And that doesn't happen in Washington very often. And he has stood up and said, Madam Speaker, you have zero leverage yeah. over what happens in the U.S. Senate. You're not supposed to have any leverage over what happens in the Senate. We can't tell you how to run the House. You can't tell us how to run the Senate. You got no leverage. You just keep talking all you want to. I'll decide and we'll decide if Blunt and the rest of them don't like what he's doing, what the Senate will do till then. 
ta-ta. And I just admire his being at least that forthright about it. To be continued. <laughs> and now it is time for Roast and Toast, where the Ruckheads have 30 seconds each to imply, deny, or defy. And we begin with Gwen. So here's a toast to Robbie Mackinnon, the KCAT board, the mayor, and city council for having the audacity to set Kansas City on course for zero fare transit for all. An economic impact study conducted by UMKC's Center for Economic Information reveals that zero fare will likely have meaningful positive impact on the economic livelihood of KCATA's passengers and our economy. Just 30 days into a 90-day pilot of free transit on the new Prospect Max, KCATA has tallied increased ridership totally, totaling 108,000 rides and no incidents. This is proof that zero fare is the way to go. Woody? Um, some years ago, uh, then Vice President Biden bragged on the Obama administration by saying General Motors is alive and bin Laden is dead. So with apologies to Joe, a toast to President Trump, the economy is alive and Soleimani is dead. Steve? I have a multiple warhead roast for Sanders, Warren, and Biden <laughs> for their collective hypocritical out outrage calling the president's elimination of General Soleimani an unconstitutional assassination and act of war. Soleimani was a military combatant and the world's greatest terrorist, so designated by Obama. Yet these America-hating buffoons call Trump a war criminal. The president's action was justified and authorized by the Military Use of Force Act, which Warren, Biden, and Sanders all supported under Obama. President's job is to protect America and to love it more than these three apparently love our enemies. And Jeremy. I was going to do one, but I'm going to roast that. Um, <laughs> in a conversation where we need to be talking about um, real issues, the people that I disagree with politically, I know love our country. And they love what's what, what's best for our country. And I don't agree. And when every, not according to what you just I said, don't agree. Steve. I don't agree. Not when you call the president a war criminal for killing an enemy combatant who has killed thousands of Americans. Jeremy, we've got to move. Do this quickly. Finish your comments. I'm done. You're done? Okay. And finally, when Supreme Court Justice Neil Gorsuch, a Trump appointee, appeared on the Fox News channel during the holidays, he responded to the host greeting by saying, Merry Christmas. And that caused social media to light up. On Twitter, one viewer wrote, Gorsuch is using Republican talking <laughs> points. Others called his greeting a dog whistle to white nationalists. Was it Shakespeare who said, all the Twitters is not gold? Said Merchant of Venice. And that is Ruckus for this week. We are back next Thursday at 7. Now for the Ruckets and the crew, Mike Shannon saying thanks very much for watching and good night.